Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the world's greatest podcast. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, baby. We are back with another episode. Hope everyone's had a lovely Christmas and an even better New Year. But we're going to be back with the pods now with more regularity after the World Cup. It took its toll on us, didn't it, Stan? And you've spent a lot of time with the Saudi Arabian national team over this period, haven't you? I have, yeah. They, um, they called me in after they beat Argentina because, uh, well, they just wanted to try and keep that going, to be honest with you. They know how much... I love Saudi Arabia and how much I respect the the uh, you know everything that's going on there. So they invited me over and I uh, yeah I'm helping them out still yeah. <laughs> you, you know what charity starts at home and Stan's proof of that. <laughs> but but we'll start with Stan. Man United unfortunately for Jim beat Man City in the Manchester derby at Old Trafford. Do you think Stan two one was a fair result to United? Uh... I don't know. It depends which way you look at it. I mean, I think I think if one team deserved to win, it probably was us. Uh, I think you can base that purely off the shots on target, to be honest. City had one and they scored it. So uh, when I look at the game over chances, particularly that first half, uh, Bruno had a shot, probably dragged it wide. But Rashford had two. Uh, you know, he went round Edison and uh, he had another one where he probably took a heavy touch into Edison. Uh, and on another day but he might score one of those two City didn't do anything in the first half and like I say second half City have their shot on target and it goes in uh, I think it was the first time De Bruyne managed to get away from Casemiro or Fred uh, and, and obviously he got an assist which is you know that's the level that these games are played at these players are at um, and then yeah United came back from that and, and you know had another couple shots on target in the second half so I suppose in terms of chances created and shots on target I think if one team deserved to win it it probably was us although uh, I'd say over the 90 minutes it was pretty equal I thought it was a very boring first half to be honest with you um, and that obviously there were, there were talking points which I'm sure we'll go over um, but I think over the 90 minutes it was there wasn't really a bad tackle there wasn't really any incredible individual performances I didn't think there were some solid performances but yeah to answer your question I think if one of the teams deserved to win it probably was us yeah Jim I think it's fair to say that City were quite lacklustre in this game from the usual high standards that they've set over the course of a few years now but do you think a draw would have been a fair result for your boys or do you think United slightly edged it yeah, like Stan said, it's a weird one. It depends how you look at it. I think United were the better side, but it doesn't necessarily mean they deserve to go on and win the game. No team deserves to go on and win any game, really. Um, kind of the way the game went, it was very much all United first half. I don't think we did anything going forward. Um, pretty sloppy in our, sloppy in our passes. Um, and they haven't been great lately against anyone. Obviously, Southampton beat them in the week, about four days before that. Um, but the second half, I thought, First Grudish and I were in the first half and the chances they made, they didn't really lay a glove on City and the passing seemed to be a bit better. We got the goal, I thought it was a really good goal and when Grealish came on, I thought it looked much better. He, he did more in 20 minutes than Foden and Mahrez did in the full game. Well, all the front three really. Um, but then the way the kind of goal happened, I think, changed the game. I think what happened changed the momentum massively and without the first goal, I don't think the second goal goes in. So, yeah, a bit of a weird one. I definitely don't think City deserved to win the game. Even at one 0 we had ten minutes left. So yeah, yeah, and we'll and we'll stick with you now, Jim, and we'll go into the the elephant in the room, shall we say? And uh, we'll talk about that goal that concerned Marcus Rashford and uh, Bruno Fernandez. So, Jim, the floor is yours. 
Uh, yeah, it, it, it is now in the room while looking at each other tentative, tentatively thinking what we're going to say on this subject. Um, I, I'll go as strong as saying that's one of the worst decisions I've seen all season. And it's a season where every week there's a horrendous decision at one stadium at least. Um, yeah, I don't get it. Um, end of a week where I don't know what the offside rule is. Um, they start on the handball one, which is massive in it. Um, we we seen it the week prior at Liverpool and Wolves game where there was two goals disallowed, one one goal allowed and one goal disallowed, both in Liverpool's favour. And every fan was looking at it, thinking, "I don't understand that rule," but apparently it is a rule. With this one, I even though there is like this ambiguity of did Rashford interfere or not, I really don't, I, I just think it's as cut and dry as he did interfere. I mean, he obviously did. I think if Rashford's not there, I think Akanji gets it. If Rashford's not there, Edison doesn't slow himself down and comes out and gets it. I mean, I think about 10, 15 minutes before, I think that second half, I think Edison did come out about 30 yards from his goal line. You know, it's like he doesn't hesitate. And the only reason he did hesitate in that case is because Rashford's on top of the ball. And if he keeps running out and he thinks Rashford's, Rashford's onside, he, he scores. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. I think it's horrendous. Um, yeah, it's just what it's a game-changing decision as well, which makes it even worse to take against one of your rivals, which makes it on top of that even worse to take. So yeah, not not the happiest scene. I'll be honest. No, no, and obviously we spoke about the performance, but you, that can't be helped when decisions like that are, are happening. And I, th- I think that it's it's a decision that I think is one of the worst I've ever seen. Like genuinely, I think it's the one of the worst I've ever seen. But Stan, I, I, we've genuinely not spoken about this. Well, me and you haven't spoken about this. So I'm really interested to see what you think about this. Uh, I, I agree with both of you, to be honest. I think that the issue is with the law. It's the fact that we've said, did he interfere? And the answer is from anybody that's watched it or played football is, is yes. Because like Jim said, Akanji lets it go. Edison's position's different, everything that's happened. But the problem is the law that they've created, they've deemed interference as blocking a player. He doesn't. Akanji lets it go, but Rashford at no point has any physical contact with him to stop him from getting to the ball or touching the ball, which we know he didn't, or blocking the keeper's eye line. And the problem is that's the law that they've created. And they're the things that they've classed as interference. If you go through all three, he hasn't done any. But if you use common sense, I agree with both of you. Logic, he's interfered, he's there. Akanji's let the ball roll because he's thinking he's offside. I'm just going to let it go through. If he touches it, it doesn't matter. Me and... um, was it Walker? There was somebody else who, you know, they'd had a decent line. Uh, he's let it go. Um, they're told to let things go and VAR will sort it. It didn't end up sorting it. Um, and yeah, it is 100% interfering. Uh, but like Jim says, logic seems to point one way with decisions and the laws that they've created tends to mean that it goes the other way. And the issue is, even going back to those offsides at Anfield last week, particularly that Salah one, the fact that Totti only goes to head that because he knows Salah's behind him. Salah's offside, but the law is that once Totti makes an attempt to play the ball, he's no longer offside. But he doesn't go to play that ball if Salah's not behind him. Just like Edison doesn't square up to say he's Rashford's shot if Rashford's not there. So the problem is, is the laws, and it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, in the next few days they change the law like they did with the handball law a few years ago where after every big issue in, in a game week they tweak it, tweak it, tweak it, although like Jim says, that's still 
in my opinion, broken. The fact that you can handle it in the lead up to a goal, but as long as you don't score it, they can't actually chalk it out. So it's absolutely ridiculous that, you know, if it's handball, it leads to a goal one way or another. If it's helped you to get the ball in front of you or away from someone or towards the goal, fair enough. But the, the issue is the laws have left absolutely no room for any common sense or or anything logic from the referees because they've got to follow these stupid sub-details that they've created. And if that's the case, no matter how stupid it seems, playing the game, watching the game, how many games we've watched, how many games we've played, in whatever position, Rashford interfered, 100% interfered with the whole shape of that defence and the shape of the goalkeeper. But the problem is, in eyes of the law and the definition of interfere that they've made, he didn't. And it's it's all fucking ridiculous. It is stupid. And I've, I've been saying it for ages. I mean, Rashford's had two goals this season where it scraped his hand, made no difference. But because he scored it, they can cancel it. But had he, say, squared it to Fernandez, they can't go back and rule it out. Why is that a law? It makes absolutely no sense at all. But I suppose I'm digressing. But the fact is he interfered. And for everybody watching football and the rules and laws that we want in football, that shouldn't be a goal. But the problem is the people above us have made that be a goal, which, like Jim says, every every single part of logic and football experience, watching the game, playing the game, tells you that that shouldn't be a goal. But the laws state that it probably is a goal. And that's why they've given it. And it's yeah. ridiculous. So Weird. there we go. It's a weird one, isn't it? And I was showing Jim uh, a tweet in the pub that Pat Cech tweeted saying the people that make the rules have never played football, basically. And the first reply, yeah. the first reply was, uh, shut up, Pete. You won the title with the most offside goal ever. And then the reply to that was, there was no VAR then. <laughs> so, there wasn't. So, and, 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 um <laughs> I mean, I, I was I managed to get there, but it was it was obviously when you're in the crowd, you don't really have a fucking clue what's going on. But what stood out to me was the fact that I don't know whether it was. I've still not really seen the the actual full game, but it didn't seem like VAR was even used. It seemed like a very old fashioned linesman's given offside. The ref and the linesman's had a chat, and then he's given it, and that hasn't happened since VAR. Like they go to VAR no matter what. It didn't what, feel like in the ground. It felt a very old fashioned, oh, fuck, have I got this wrong? Was he off? And linesman maybe, or oh, the ref's gone, did he touch it? And he's gone, no. And he's gone, right, goal. Yeah, from, what, from, watching on the, from watching on the poor beat, it was the linesman applied offside and the ref had just overturned it by probably doing that what you said, just asking him if he'd touched it or not. Well, that, but, that yeah. in itself is, is ridiculous because what's VAR there for? How often, how in the last, since VAR's come in, have you seen a ref go to a linesman and, and change a decision that way? It doesn't happen. So it's just a massive fuck up. They need they need to change the law because obviously I'm happy that it's come for us. But if that went against us, I would feel exactly the same. But my anger altogether would be down to the law because it, it's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, 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 said, in, I said to someone in a chat this morning that I genuinely feel strongly that the people who've made the rules, whoever it is, I don't really know who it is, have made them so complicated and made so many grey areas in handball and offside rules. There's so many little sub DOs. You mentioned it before that they can hide, the refs can hide behind the bad decisions that they make yeah. because the refs aren't good. And I think the people who make the rules no. know that the refs aren't that good. So then when they do give that goal, I don't give a goal, I give a handball next week like they shouldn't have gave or whatever there was one at Tony got a penalty the day after it was shocking <laughs> but like no one mentioned that because that's just normal now but then they just hide behind these like 
big rules that yeah. go, oh yeah, but in like paragraph six, subsection CA, it says this. And it's like, yeah, I agree. oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Damon Gallagher, you're right. Ref's well, right. That, that, that literally did happen where this decision's been made that, like I've said, anybody with a football brain knows it was interfering, shouldn't be a goal. But they've come out and gone, yeah, the ref made the right decision because ultimately that means the ref's protected, like you say, and they can go, oh, sorry about that. Uh, oh, yeah, three days later, PGMOL announced that interference includes this and then that's it. But United have gained three points and City have lost three. You know what I mean? That that's it. It's too late. But I agree. I think that the rule should literally be: if you're offside, does he interfere? There shouldn't be any sub details, and it should be down to common sense and, and you know logic. Did he interfere? Subjectivity. Some we might disagree, but at least there's not going to be any like that where they can, like you say, cover themselves up because that's the law that they made. So yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. I, I think also I, I don't feel sorry for footballers because that's just stupid. The amount four hundred million a week, or whatever it is. But if you're a defender or a goalkeeper. What the fuck he meant to do? Like, what was Totty meant to do against Sal well, the week before? And what 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 is a Kanji and Edison supposed? Well, I don't know what we were sitting. I was, I was done there. You know what? I, I was thinking about this before. If yeah. you think of those two incidents, a Kanji's left it and he's not offside, and Totty's gone to get it and he's not offside. So what the fuck's a centre back supposed <laughs> to do? That, that's what I'm saying. How that's do you defend? No. <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they, if you, I feel yeah, like if, if, the right thing. If, if you stand still and the other other player runs to it, but then lets the guy who's onside get it, it's a fucking goal. That's that's what they've sent. So Mind as a defender, do you go for it? Do you not? Because if Akanji goes for that technically and it hits him and then goes through to Rashford, Rashford's back onside. So it's the laws that they've made. The fucking stupid. They don't make any sense to anybody that's played the game at any level for yeah. any period of time. So we'll go straight back down. We'll go down to North London, the game that was on the Sunday, a game that this, well, the result we just spoke about chucked even more pressure on this game. But Cook, it was Arsenal with a comfortable win, let's be honest. Uh, they came through. And, I mean, are they going to win the league? I'll ask you straight up. No. <laughs> Oh, well, why not? Why not? Do you want me to elaborate? Okay. Please, please um, elaborate, yes. Um, because Manchester City is still playing the Premier League and they're having a bit of a shit time at the minute. I think they've dropped, I think it's 11 points now in the last nine games, something like that. But Arsenal still haven't had that fuck up and they've got some some hard games coming thick and fast now. So we'll see what they're really made of. And I think they'll, I, I agree with Gary Neville. I feel, think they'll finish potentially third. Because, like I said, they've not experienced that yet. And I just think that they're a young team with the odd bit of experience in there. And don't, let's not get it twisted. They're, they're overachieving massively this season. Top four should have been their target. And they're, they're in a title race, which is credit to them. Like I said, you can praise you can praise them when they're good and when they're shit, they're shit. But you, they are doing really well at the minute. But I just think that they've got a lot of young players who haven't been in these situations before whereas someone like a city's been there done that even someone like for example a casimiro's been there done that at united for example so i just think that when maybe they do it a rough patch they'll stay in it for a little bit and that's when city will make up ground because the basically city aren't playing as well as they have done in the past but they've been in title races with like mad good liverpool teams so i think i think city will still win it and there's a reason jim why they're still the bookies favorites i found this on oh Oh, Siri, Siri well, doesn't think Neville, so as well. <laughs> I mean, Neville the web. 
<laughs> Neville mentioned yesterday that there's so many games over the next month or so. That, um, you know, any injuries, you know, a player could be out for three games if he has a 10-day injury kind of thing, three league games, that is. Um, so, yeah, you, you don't know what could happen. Uh, you know, if two or three poor results and, and City win three, then, you know, the, the back on top of them, aren't they? So, um, I mean, Jim, I'll, I'll let you cover the other angle. Uh, spuds, Tottenham hot spuds. Um, I mean... What did you think about them in this game and, and what do you think about them at the moment? Well, I was actually watching Avatar while this game was happening. That's fair enough. But <laughs> them at the moment as a general, I can have a stab at. Um, I think they're a bit of a mess, but this seems to happen every single season where there's the top six in there and like three or four of them will just be like they'll have the massive struggles all season and let's face it they're not as bad as Liverpool and Chelsea are this season like they're not doing I don't think they're doing too bad but it just the, the Conte thing it just seems a bit it seems a bit stale doesn't it it seems like any moment it can blow up in the face and it, it seems like it won't last long which is never a good thing looking forward in in, in general you're always thinking who's, who's going to be manager of Spurs next season which when that is the it's a it's a bit of a big distraction I think um and I, don't, I think the, the football they play is shocking um, a lot of the times. I think sometimes when you see Spurs lose, it's, was this ever team good? I see, I've seen this, this exact tweet, actually, and I've, I've thought this myself watching Spurs all season. Was, like, the team that beat Spurs good or was Spurs just that bad? Because they don't, they don't create anything. They're just defensive, aren't they? And I think they were used to rely, well, they still do rely a lot on Kane and Stone, and Kane is still the world-class elite talent he is, but... I think this season specifically, there's a lot of questions about Son. And when the other players aren't chipping in or they're not that attacking, it's tough. I mean, you look at Arsenal, I mean, there's goals everywhere in the Arsenal team. There's not... Gabriel's just coming in. It's not like he scored loads of goals. I know he's injured at the minute, but like, they're all chipping in on this sacral score one week. Martinelli, Odegaard, they'll all, they'll all score goals. And Spurs have two threats. And one of them this season, for me, hasn't shown up. And I think that's probably the problem. And um, it's it's got a bit stale. I think I just think there's a lot of the, yeah. a lot of them a lot of them players were there, and the system has been there for years, aren't they? Yeah. I think there's yeah. similarities with Liverpool in there that, that they seem stale. Much played the same. I think. Yeah, I, th- I think. I mean, I said it at the time, but I think when you bring in somebody like Conte, when you're winning and you're playing like that, you can deal with it. But when you play like that, when you play your style and lose, like there's nothing more frustrating as a fan. But it feels like we're literally as soon as you go one nil down, it's like oh well, that's it in a big game. We're probably not going to fucking turn it around, even though the second half record has been good as it is. The teams that they've even gone down, you know, one or two nil in the first place hasn't been brilliant. But I mean, going back to Arsenal, I, th- I think they've been brilliant. I think almost every test they've had this season, or every game where you think, oh, you know, the other team could do them, the, they've passed with flying colours. And for me, I, I wasn't watching Avatar. I did watch this, but it, um, it was another one. It was another one where I thought that literally for ninety minutes they were never really out of control. Spurs had four, five, six-minute patches where Arsenal might have dropped and maybe it was even tactical to get a bit of a breather because whenever Arsenal looked like they wanted possession or to move up the pitch, they, they ended up doing that. But yeah, the big test for them is, is obviously they play United next weekend and then I think they play City twice in, in a month or something. So, you know, three of the next however many league games are absolutely huge for them. But like I've just said, you look every time I've, I've looked at them and thought there's some tough fixtures. They've passed with flying colours, so they, they may very well do the same again. 
So credit yeah. to Arsenal. Yeah, I was just going to say as well about Arsenal. It'll be interesting to see where what happens with them when the Europa League gets back underway and they start playing Thursday, Sunday, factoring in midweek Prem games as well. We'll really see yeah. how, how deep that squad is. And Stan touched on the second half performance. There, there was an 11 shot difference for Spurs in the first and second half. And, and that just shows what a second half team that, that they are. And Jim, we'll quickly speak on what is only being de- described as the king of the north, Martin Odegaard, at the minute. How well is he playing and what a coup for Arsenal is that? Yeah, I mean, he's, played, he's, he's one of the best eights in the league. Isn't he? He's maybe not maybe the best eight in the league this season, at least. Um, I think what's really impressive is he's still so young because he's one of them players. He's, he's going to be like, he's like a free or walk on here. You look at him, he's like, you think he's like 29, he's like 23 or something. Don't let but him he, say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, not not sense of play. I just mean like the age. He's been around for so long, um, but because he has been around for so long, despite his age, he's got leadership qualities. Um, I think he's the captain of. Is he? The, he's not the captain of Arsenal. Is he? He's the ca- he's captain of someone. Yeah. But yeah, he's the captain yeah, of Arsenal. Arsenal's I thought, captain. I thought, yeah, I thought yeah, that was right. And Norway, I think. I was going to say he was captain of Norway, but yeah, I, oh, but yeah, I wear that just proves my point. He's, I think he's used all his experience despite not even being that old and maybe not even reaching his prime years he's just got that leadership quality and yeah he's been he's been brilliant for Arsenal that entire front four has been brilliant depending on whether it's in Kessie or Isis. it's it's why they're top of the league I think Right, listeners, Better the Week is back we do know Blue Monday is upon us at time of recording but have no fear, Better the Week is back and we're going to try and win you and your pig of half some money. So, we're not going to touch the early kickoff. It's, it's Liverpool-Chelsea. We, we don't want to lose some early pennies with my blue glasses on. So, I've done you a solid there. Mid-table so, too, so you've, you've no idea which way it's going to go. Exactly. I'd, I, hey, hopefully we take that L so we can finish 10th, not get in the call. <laughs> 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 but, we're going to start off at Bournemouth, Michael B. Jordan's Bournemouth playing Nottingham Forest. I have gone for both teams to score in that one. Then we're going downstand to the King Power, Brighton versus Leicester in Leicester. I've gone for a Seagulls away win for that one. No Leandro Trossard on that particular trip. Then we're going to go to the London Stadium, West Ham versus Everton. You could say this is the blind lead in the blind in this game. And... I've gone for a boring under two and a half for that one because I think it is what it says on the tin. Shit. El, El, El Sakiko, would you say? Wow, I like that. The loser gets sacked, maybe, or both of them. I'd do both of them. Anyway, carry and, on. And they have to shave through her, like Uma, like Uma versus... Um, well, Lampard, Lampard needs that, so I hope Everton leaves. On the pitch. <laughs> yeah. Frank needs to go to Turkey and, and not with Deli Ali. But... We're going to finish off the better week with uh, Crystal Palace versus Newcastle. You can get the two in army roughly at even money in this one. But I'm going to do you one better. Palace versus Newcastle. I'm going to go both teams versus Newcastle. So just to recap, the better the week. Bournemouth versus Nottingham Forest. Going to go both teams to score. Leicester versus Brighton. We've gone for a Seagulls away win. West Ham Everton under 2.5. And the half five at Sellers Park. Newcastle United. Both teams score result against Crystal Palace. And lads, what can the listeners do with that information? And shove it up the tight little hackers. Okay, welcome back, Cookie Podcast listeners. We were just about to segue into Liverpool getting twatted by Brian, but 
They are so shit we don't care. Um, Cody Gakpo, more like Cody Gakpo. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about new signings now. That's my segue, Cook. And Chelsea have been busy. It. It's only the the you... 16th. It's only the 16th, lads, but they have spent some money, haven't they? Um, they brought in Chris Benoit, Barry Ashile. Oh, that's that's Cookie's own. Uh, I didn't bring oh, that up. Right, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I got away with that one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to put my name towards Matrix that. agents at my door now. <laughs> um, me and but, uh, taking up more headlines than him is um, oh, classic. Former, well, still current Atleti man, Yao Felix is on a half season loan, and they've just completed the signing of Ukrainian wonder kid Mudrik for around hundred million pounds when add-ons get sorted out. I don't know, but yeah, Cook. Who are you excited for most out of them too? And I guess I guess you've seen Felix play, but what do you think about the Tyrants in general? Love them. Because we're <laughs> do- no, genuinely I do, I do because we're we're doing Big Dick Todd tried to do a clear out in the summer and he, he realized very quick that that you, you can't really just shove everyone out the door and he actually paid for Ross Barkley to leave in the end. It was it was that bad. So so he's he's clearing house mid-season and there's talk of Hakim Ziyech not getting registered for the Champions League squad. So um, it's pretty safe to say that he's probably out the door. But but still, I'm yet to see him sprint for Chelsea Football Club like he did for Morocco. So we'll leave that there. But the, the, the signings I'm really happy with because it just shows that they're really backing Potter and it's almost like fuck the noise really of the sacking because it's, it's not going to happen. It's, it's genuinely not going to happen no matter how bad it gets. So it's just, it's testament that they are backing the manager Spent 100 million on Mudrick, who, like we was talking before, I've never seen him play. Not in the Champions League, not anything. I've not, never seen them play. Um, so he's a bit of an enigma in that regard. Of I don't really know what to expect. Felix, I was really happy with before he got sent off. Um, but but that can, that can, I say that can happen, and it can happen. He got sent off, not being a dosser, just trying very hard and then being a dosser. So it was it was, it was, it was I mean quite accidental. I don't mean to bring you down to reality but it's, it's very exciting signing these sorts of players and but do you see any like are you concerned at all about this Mudrick kid it seemed that all the noise from his camp and himself was yeah I want to play for Arsenal I mean he's just he had his eyes set on Arsenal and then he's just gone to Chelsea and like the switch for day and do you, what, what do you think of the criticisms that Todd's getting saying like he's playing football manager you've heard that a lot he never said that himself actually it just seems like he's playing a video game, for example. What do you reckon of that? I mean, Neville will say anything these days to stay in the headlines. But um, I think it's the easy thing to say. I think that is genuinely the easy thing to say. And it's the easy thing to to just jump on that bandwagon because he's he is doing it. But people are acting like our squad doesn't need a complete rejuvenation. And like, like I said, our squad, it was it was in tatters with Tuchel. And, and that's why Todd used him through the window. And then obviously what happened happened. But I, I I just think that, like I said, it's the easy thing to say that he's playing footy manager. We've got a lot of players on our books that either don't want to be there or just haven't done the business. And slowly but surely we are getting rid of him. And like I said, it might seem like a lot, but we need ways to get around FFP and people are making a lot of deal uh, about the length of this contract. Todd's almost changed our infrastructure now of the way you do contracts of a lot of performance-based add-ons like we were discussing before. If he wins stuff at Chelsea, then the fee goes up, et cetera, et cetera. But he's almost giving like these baseball-style contracts where they are seven years for like these kids and they can, they can be spread out, the payments over a number of years. So I like it in that regard, but 
it'll either be if it works it'll be a groundbreaking way to get around ffp if it doesn't work they'll be rightly ridiculed stan do you, do you think there's a bit there that we was talking about then about this, this big contract that he's got it's obviously till 2030 which when i read that i was like fuck me that's insane the kids just smash life now and he did mention before that Chelsea have got a lot of players on the books that either don't want to be there or they're just not pulled away or they just not quite worked out. Is there a worry then if you're going to sign big money players on massive contracts that you could end up in a situation two, three, four years down the line where Mudrick's still got three years left in his contracts and he's just been shit and he's just not turned out? I mean, I'm not going to call him thought about seeing him play. I've never seen him play in my life. But is that a worry? Yeah, I mean, you run that. You run. I mean, obviously, the worries more because of the price that you paid for him. But I suppose you run that risk for every signing that you make. If you're going to give them six, seven-year contracts, whether that's a, a player or a manager, as we as, as we've seen in the past, um, with the massive payoffs after the clubs realised that you know they're not what they wanted or they're, they're not doing as well as they'd like. Um, yeah, I don't know whether it is a way to get round FFP, but it doesn't really matter for Chelsea because, I mean, you look at the amount they've spent since Todd's come in, the loan army that they've got, you know, he'll just disappear to Vitesse in 2026 if he's no good anyway. And well, I'm genuinely not messing about. We're actually not actually that tight with them anymore, so back off. Oh, sorry. Well, <laughs> that whoever, was so whoever 2012, Stan. Jesus. <laughs> um, but no, uh, yeah, there's a massive risk there. I mean, the thing that without sounding like Gary Neville and trying to get into headlines, it does, um, no it does, I, I said it, I said it to you, I said it to you in the summer court, it, it does seem very Todd Woodwards. That would be my headline that, um, that I would use. And I mean that by, I mean, I saw the other day that Matt Law was writing that, um, Cooler Valley and Sterling, uh, they might be cutting the losses on them. I mean, they were signed six months ago. Uh, obviously we know Matt Law is very tight for Chelsea. Um, I mean, and I look at Fafana, obviously, he's had a massive injury. Uh, I can't even remember who else you've signed, but uh, Cucurella, he's, he's literally Lewis Hall, who's a, who's a midfielder for the under 23s, he's started over him the last few games. Um, Badi Achille's come in, how's he going to do? I don't know. Mudri, Shao Felix is a six month loan with no option to buy, and he's extended his contract. I look at Felix, I look at Sterling, Ziyech. Uh, I don't know about Mudrick, uh, Mount. Like these are all players that, for me, are all good at very similar things. I think it, the squad itself lacks a lot of profiles. And uh, I know you say you need a a, a rebuild, um, but take it from somebody who's seen a rebuild. It needs to be a structured rebuild, not just let's spend five hundred million because I've seen United spend over a billion and we still need a fucking rebuild. So it. it um, I don't know. I mean, if you're judging it off the signings he's made so far as in the ones that, you know, we can judge over the last six months, he's not done well. I mean, are any of them a success? Because you argue any of them have been a success. Uh, I think you'd struggle to. Uh, you might argue some of them have been six, seven out of ten. But, um, yeah, th there's something not quite right there. It does feel a bit football manager, sorry. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't blame uh, Chelsea fans for being excited about new signings because new signings obviously brings new hope and, you know, the potential for anything to kind of happen and, you know, to go in a direction. I do think they've got a good coach in Graham Potter. I will say that until, you know, I'm blue in the face, but, you know, despite it, the run that he's been on. Um, so should he get, I know Chelsea have had a huge amount of injuries too. You look at the squad that they could have compared to the ones that they've, they've played over the last few months and, you know, the difference is massive, but, um, 
even then with those that, like I said, I look at a lot of the players in that team, they're all very, very similar profiles. They're aging in the wrong positions with key players like Thiago and Kante. Huge players there that they've not got anybody coming through really at any level close to them. So it does feel a bit mishmash, but I think like you've said, Jim, it's hard. we've got to reserve judgment. I think it's something that will only come out in the wash in the next 12, 18 months, I think. Yeah, I don't think you can judge Postroff. This is there's a lot to do with any this season with I don't it's not it's hard when you're not naming the same eleven every week in it um, for any manager. And I think it'll be interesting cut just very quickly while we're running out of time. Well, what do you think Potter's job changes to? Because um, obviously it's not going well and they're not gonna be challenging for any trophies or anything over the unless a miracle happens in like the Champions League or whatever. Which, you know, you're still praying for. But I mean, he's got all these new players coming in. He's gonna make plans for him now and like his job almost his job almost changes on it if this back six back end of the season, doesn't it? No, it does and and it does because Tuchel when he was here found that because he had to be very involved with the transfers because we had no director of football and it was basically him and Todd doing it because we had no hierarchy and infrastructure because of the takeover. But now we, we do have that and we, we have got that infrastructure put in place. So I think that takes it off him in terms of, I think it's one less job for him to do and he, he can almost focus on the football a little bit more. But I think it's just, I think his hardest thing will be keeping everybody happy. And like I said, he's going to have to basically deregister someone from the Champions League squad if he wants Badia Shiele, Felix and Mudrick to come in. So that'll be very interesting. But there's like there's a lot of players that down-tooled for Tuchel before he left. There's a lot of players that down-tooled for Lampard prior to him. And there's a lot of players that are down-tooling for Potter because they're not in his plans and whenever they'd have had an opportunity, they've not took it. But I just think it'll be very interesting. It's a rebuild that we've never seen before that someone's spending this type of money in the January window. But... At the end of the day, it's always nice to to see us not sitting back on our laurels. I'd be more worried if we didn't sign anybody. And with Nkunku coming in the summer, it's it's very exciting times. And it's a brand new squad with Potter players. And we'll see what type of team he makes at the biggest level. But speaking about biggest teams, the Cookie Pod is the biggest team in the podcast game. And if you don't subscribe to us already, what the hell are you doing? Go and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Anchor FM, which is our host platform. Just search in. That's the way the cookie crumbles. You can find us on TikTok by using the handle The Cookie Podcast. That's T H E Cookie Podcast. And you can follow our Twitter and Instagram by using the handle Cookie Podcast One. That's Cookie Podcast followed by the number one. It's been episode 163 of the podcast. And that's the way the cookie crumbles.